scale of one to ten, how confident are you with Joe Douglas in this draft? Um so based on his draft history, I'm not a few moments later. With the fifteenth pick in the twenty twenty three NFL draft, the New York J E T S Jets 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 select Old McDonald had a farm E I E I O and on this farm he had a pig E I E I O No way Wait let me say something Let me say something I'm in a glass case of emotion Clear for takeoff. Once again, welcome to Jet Fuel, the Jets Discord podcast. As always, I am your party host, Joe Rivera. And along with me, as always, is my astute, educational, incredibly handsome co-host. He is Will McDonald's AARP representative, none other than Matt Szilard, a.k.a. King Sliz. Sliz, say hello, my friend. Hey, my, my client base grows by the day. I think uh, Carter Warren qualifies as well. The... <laughs> The, the boomer squad grows grows by the day man yeah it's it's crazy joe douglas likes drafting these older older guys right you see them at the uh, getting the senior discounts at the old all you can eat buffets downtown right but uh it's not a at least as we start this podcast today sliz it's not just a two-man vehicle today it's my pleasure to to introduce to have on ian cummings pro football network draft analyst ian how you doing my friend Doing good, doing good, doing a lot better now that the draft is actually over in the rearview mirror. It was quite a grind leading up to it, the months leading up to it, but uh, you know we're finally past it. We finally actually have concrete results to talk about, and I'm going to take a vacation at some point. I need a vacation, <laughs> but you know until then, a couple a couple more weeks, and uh, you know we'll have plenty plenty to talk about, especially after the results. You're, you know, you're, not, you're not doing 2024 mock drafts already. I, I am. I've already written three, man. I need to stop. Oh, man. <laughs> I need oh, man. someone to stop me, man. I'm actually working on my my third one tonight. So yeah, it's oh my god, man. There's only so much you can mock. There's only so much you can do differently this early, you know, because there is still so much left to play out. But yeah, I've already done three. I need to stop. I need to get some help or something. I don't know, but it's it's a grind, man. It truly is year round. You know, you got to be prepared for it, right? I had a watch list of like 400 guys heading into April for next cycle. So, you know, you, you got to stay prepared. You got to stay on your toes. And I mean, it, it's great. It, it's kind of, a, it's bittersweet for sure because it is draining at times, but Hey, it's, it's, it's what we live for. Let me tell you something. You might be feeling better that the draft is now over, but us Jets fans aren't, aren't <laughs> feeling as great. And I mean, uh, let's kick it up before before we get into some jet specific stuff. I have a question for you, Ian. How do you? I guess this is kind of philosophical. This is kind of existential. But how do you view the draft? Do you view it as an opportunity to to get impact players in the immediate? Do you view it as okay? Well, a team has to decide. They have to balance between those impact players now and building for the future. Do you view it as just what's your kind of philosophy on how teams should attack the draft? Yeah, you know, part of it is it depends on the state of the team in that moment, right? You know, like if you're a team that's ready to win now, you know, maybe you want immediate contributors. If you're a team where you know, you know, you're entering a new regime, it's going to take a few years. Maybe you're looking for foundational blocks, guys that have upside but haven't quite realized it yet, right? So, you know, I think the first thing 
for you as a team is to kind of identify yourself and figure out, you know, where are we at as a team, right? And then from there, you reverse engineer it and go to like, all right, here's what we need. We need an immediate contributor here, you know, or we need developmental talent here, get some veterans to sign and kind of guide them along. So I think, you know, what the draft is depends on where you're at, right? And, you know, as teams progress year over year, it changes, right? Like the, you know, maybe a team like the Texans, you know, last year they were thinking like, hey, we really need foundational pieces. This year, you know, you take one step forward, right? All right, we get our quarterback, we get our blue chip talent on defense. Now we're getting closer to competition, right? So, you know, it's always incremental from year to year. And that's the fun part, man, because it changes every cycle. You know, like the Lions, too. I mean, a couple of cycles ago, they had the number two overall pick last year, right? But then now we're talking about them as a potential playoff contender next year. So it changes every year. And the, the key is to be fluid and kind of go off of what the season results take you. But I think, you know, the draft ultimately is, you know, building to a Super Bowl. That's what it is in the most base sense. And finding where you are and finding what you need in each individual, individual year helps you uh, work toward that. You know, coincidentally, I mean, I look at a team like the Patriots and Bill Belichick, and I know historically his drafts haven't been the best, right? It's funny because for Bill Belichick being the greatest coach of all time, I don't think there's much debate surrounding that. He hasn't always been the best general manager and his philosophy has always been a little weird, right? Like he takes his guys when he takes his guys. You got to look at 2022 draft and he takes Cole Strange, UT Chattanooga in the first round. And it's like, what are we doing, Bill? But there's sometimes there's a method to this madness, right? Yeah, for sure. Sometimes it works out. That's why, you know, every time like I am a media draft analyst, like I have my own big board and everything and I'll, I'll give grades for picks. Right. But, you know, at the end of the day, you can't go off of a media big board to judge what teams do, because if a team makes a pick that you don't agree with, you know, it's up to them to prove it. That's what I say. It's not a bad pick. It's up to them to prove that it was the right one, because a lot of people dissed the Cole Strange pick last year. Like, oh, who is this guy? Right. And like he had the talent. He showed it at the senior bowl. You know, I thought his play strength. I wanted to see him prove that. But, you know, you know, the Patriots took him around one. and He ended up being a very good, very good guard in his rookie year. And he's trending up. So it's one of those things where if you don't agree with it or if you don't quite see the vision, you know, they are NFL evaluators. They've been doing this for a while. And, you know, they're not always right, right? It's it's okay to be critical, right? But it's also, you know, I think the biggest, the best thing that you can do as an evaluator or an onlooker, you know, is try to at least understand different perspectives, right? And that's the way that you can truly criticize, truly scrutinize, and, you know, look at it from all angles. So, is you got any questions for Ian before we jump into the pain that was the Jets draft? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think there's been a lot of hot debate maybe on Twitter kind of in the, in the, aftermath here i think especially when you look at like a lion's draft and you get start getting into the positional value debate you have like a, a ben baldwin i think it is at computer cowboy really harping on um nfl gms and the nfl at large just completely ignoring analytics at all levels you know, he, he he trends fourth downs a lot but then unless looking at like running backs and all that and then you have like a mitchell schwartz had a whole twitter thread around you know, kind of the unseen part of evals and and how in draft media it's hard because you know really you just grade based on relative to your board and then trying to factor in our perception of positional value kind of being outside of the game and we we don't see the other two thirds of the evaluation with a lot of the injury history of the interviews kind of getting a feel of of the players and and how they fit in the schemes and such I guess what what's your thoughts on all that how do you factor in all that and and maybe some of that uh makes us Jets fans feel a little bit better too <laughs> when you just look at the guys that we got and where they're at or versus where we're at 
Yeah, I mean, I think there are so many factors to take in. in draft analysis, I mean, the traits, obviously, the production, right? And, you know, everyone, every year, the film versus analytics debate fires up on Twitter, too. You know, I like to think there's a balance of both, right? You know, I, I kind of sit on the fence. You, if you talk to me more often, you'll you'll find that, you know, for better or worse, I sit on the fence way too much, man. I, but as a draft analyst, <laughs> you know, I feel like that's the way to be because it is so nebulous. It is so ambiguous. And, you know, especially with things like age and injury history, you know, those are things that, you know, every team views it differently. Again, you know, like it, it feels like a cop out answer, but it truly is the case. Um, You know, like the Cleveland Browns, for example, they especially under Andrew Barry in recent years, they have a very strict age threshold. You know, they usually don't go past it. Right. Uh, but then other teams will be very comfortable taking 24, 25 year old guys if they know that they can be contributors pretty early on. So, you know, it's one of those things where every team views it differently. And again, there's other corroborating factors too. like, you know, this guy's 24 years old, but. He's productive. He's insanely athletic. I feel like we're, we're going to have this conversation with McDonald, for example. But, you know, everything feeds off of everything else, right? It's 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 one big puzzle, right? And it, it, no player is the same. from the, every Everyone is a little bit different, right? So you kind of look at it like that. But a lot of different factors. It's crazy to, to grade it. How I grade it personally is that, you know, if there's two prospects that are similarly graded on my board, my grades kind of put them into brackets. And then within that that bracket, you know, I kind of leave it a little bit up to personal preference. Like if this guy has a bit bad injury history, you know, maybe I'll slide him down. Or if this guy's a little bit older, 24, 25, this guy's 22, you know, maybe I want that longer developmental track and I'm going to move him a, a little bit higher. So, you know, I think the grades help you kind of get them in the right area. And then from there, you know, you can use those separating factors to really dissect it to the minute level. But it is truly a, a very detail oriented process, right? There's no one right way to do it. And that's that's what makes it so fun, man. That's what makes it so fun. Well, it's it's so fun until uh, at number fifteen, the New York Jets select Will McDonald, edge rusher, Iowa State. Now, uh, we know that the Jets like their edge rushers, and we know that they like rotating these guys. But it, I think some of us Jets fans felt like it was a little bit of a reach. And uh, looking at a lot of mock drafts, and listen, they're not the Bible, they're not the gospel, but. A lot of these box drafts seem to have Will McDonald as a late first round pick, maybe early second with some ceiling. He needs to work on his body a little bit. And in an NFL strength and conditioning program, that might help. But what were your thoughts on Will McDonald going at 15? How can you talk us Jets fans off of the ledge? If if you can, if not, I can just I can just jump now. It's fine. But no, how, can you, how can Hold you off. talk us off the ledge? Hold off on jumping. I'll say that. Uh, <laughs> I actually want to ask you one quick question because you guys are more into the Jets than you're more uh, affiliated with the Jets than I am. Uh, defensive front wise, you know, what do they usually run on the defensive front? Four man fronts, you know, are we talking hybrid fronts? What does Salah like to do? Yeah, I mean, it's it's very four man front. Um, yeah. and, and really where the Will McDonald pick is that, that is, was is the he's running that wide for me yeah, yeah he's because, running that wide nine um yeah. really similar to what he ran a little bit in san fran but i think even dialed up to the to the extreme heavy heavy rotation and you're mm -hmm. seeing that with the quinn and williams contract debate a little bit and you know jets twitter was all up in arms wanting quinn to get more snap counts less more snaps last year where he kind of peaked out at 70 percent per game so yeah very yeah. heavy rotation definitely four man fronts. And and I think Sala said on the phone in the interview or on the call with Will McDonald, we're getting you out of the four eye that you played in college. We're sticking you out wide nine and getting them in space. 
Mm -hmm. That's the biggest thing for me was the fit with Will McDonald, because looking at the personnel right up front, I was like, you know, I don't know if that's the personnel grouping for him to maximize that wide nine. Right. I'd want to have a nose tackle in there to encumber double teams and maybe get some three, four defensive ends in there. Right. And more hybrid alignments. So, you know, I did at first question his fit with the personnel grouping. But, you know, especially at Iowa State, he played four eyes so much where he's, you know, inside the tackle. And this is a guy who's six foot four, 239, right? So not right. not the best player to put there, but he's still holding up. You know, he's got almost 35 inch arms. So that helps a lot. You know, he can outreach guys. He can acquire leverage pretty easily. So, you know, you look at those factors and, you know, that he's holding up and run defense at that point, you know, putting him at wide nine, man. You know, I am very excited to see him in that, especially after Sala said on the phone that that's where he wants to use him because that is where you use Will McDonald. This is a guy who, you know, again, 6'4", 239, 35-inch arms, elite proportional length, elite explosiveness off the line, one of the most agile, bendy guys in this class, period, right? So, you know, I think that bend and that agility, that burst off the line, combined with that length to combat extensions and bending around the arc, you know, I think he's you know, he's got a very, very full, complete combination in that wide nine role. I want him to keep getting stronger. That was another concern for me. You know, his frame is definitely light, you know, like he bulked up to 239, right? So it's like, you got to keep going, you know, and he's such a lean player. I'm not sure how much more he can add to that frame, but, you know, I do think the athleticism is something you want to preserve, right? So I think he's shown, especially at the senior bowl and one-on-ones, you know, he's shown that he does have a good pass rush arsenal from that wide nine spot. You know, he's got, he's got, you know, chops, he's got cross chops too. He's got a spin move as well. You know, he can generate some speed to power with that burst and length. So, you know, I, I like that aspect of it. 24 years old, he's a little bit older, right? But, you know, I think if you have a, you know, I think he, his hand usage is far enough along that he can hit the ground running in that role. You know, so I'm 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 bullish. I'm I'm tentatively bullish, you know, tepid optimism there. You know, I think it was a little high for me on my board personally. You know, I would have, you know, if I was the Jets, I probably would have preferred a tackle at that point. You know, I think the tackle situation is a little precarious in the long term. Anton Harrison was a top 20 prospect for me from Oklahoma. So I would have loved to, you know, get him and then maybe target a guy like BJ Ojulari. I know he wasn't there, but you know, there's some other guys in the in the second round as well that were would have been decent options, right? So you know, I probably would have targeted tackle earlier, but if you have a plan for Will McDonald, that's the key. If you have a plan for him, you know, I, I'll i accept it because his tools are so, so, you know, astronomical, right? The explosiveness, the bend, the length, the combined profile, you know, it's fun to think about what he can do in the right situation. So I'm tepid, op, tepidly optimistic, right? We'll see what happens. But, you know, I do think there's enough talent there to say like, hey, Sawa, he's a, you know, experienced defensive mind. He knows what he's doing. Let's see what he can cook here. Before, before I let Sliz ask the next question, just as a tangent, how did you feel about Jermaine Johnson coming out last year? Because he's a guy that, you know, the Jets picked him at, what was it, 26th? And, and traded up to get him, yeah. Traded mm-hmm. up to get him to, at 26, and he's, you know, 37 years old at that point. But um, what, what did you what did you think of Jermaine coming out? Some people I saw, I know uh, Connor Rogers had him very high. He actually had him as, I want to say, his second best edge rusher in the class last year. But there wasn't a whole lot, the small sample size, limited snaps this past season. But what did you think about Jermaine coming out? I liked him a lot coming out. You know, I was a little surprised that he didn't produce as much as you know he could have in his rookie season. But I, I liked him a lot for sure, you know, because he had the ideal size and length, right? You know, I think it was around 6'5", I want to say 260, right? Or somewhere around there, right? But he wore it very well. A very lean athlete for his size. Thought he had good bursts off the line. You know, he tested very well athletically. 
He showed that he could use ankle flexion and, you know, hand usage around the apex too. Very disciplined run defender as well. Uh, very good in pursuit. So I was a big fan of him. He was one of my top edge guys. You know, I think that that was a great value for the Jets. You know, I'm excited to see what he can do in year two. Honestly, I expected more production, but, you know, I do think, you know, maybe more power exertion as a as a pass rusher, right? With his length and burst, you'd expect more power at the point of attack than he brings sometimes. So I think he can continue to maximize that. But I did like him a lot coming out. You know, I I liked him a lot, and I'm still bullish on the on the potential there. See, Sliz, we have bookend edge rushers for the next for the next uh, 10, 15 years, is what Ian's saying. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's the hope, right? That's the hope. You, you take hope, two man. guys first round one back to back years. You hope you hope those are bookends there. Um, you, you'd mentioned tackle. I know that was something certainly I, I was pounding the table. I was a big Roderick Jones guy, even, even I think more so over some of the other tackles. Um, I think the jets with the, the pick swap with Aaron Rodgers really kind of played themselves a little bit, got them out of range and let, let new England kind of stick it to us. Um, we did come around and, and pick Carter Warren in, in the fourth round out of Pittsburgh. I guess thoughts on him again. I, I made the joke another another older prospect, six mm-hmm. six year senior there at Pitt. Missed a lot of time with injury this year, but but what are we getting in in Carter Warren there? Yeah, you're getting a good player. You're getting a good player. I think you know the injury and the age combined might have diluted diluted his stock a little bit, but he is a solid player. Uh, 6'5", 320 around there with 35 inch arms, right? So he's a big dude. He's got the ideal size and reach for the tackle position. Um, and there were some really bright flashes at, at Pitt, you know, where he's, you know, getting out of his kick very well. You know, he's covering r- range on that kick too. you know, matching guys with with fluid footwork as well. Um, and then he's got the link to generate torque and kind of generate power on his extensions, too. And he's got some mauler moments, too, where, you know, if that edge rusher gives up leverage, he's going to throw him into the turf. So, you know, I, I like what you're working with there. You know, I do think the balance can be a little iffy at times, you know, kind of recovering. But um, he's got all the tools, man. I will say that. Like, he legitimately does. He's a good athlete. He's got good size and length. You know, I think, you know, if you're going to wait until day three to get a tackle, that, that would have been one of my top options. Now, if I was the Jets, I would have taken a tackle on day two or even day one, right? You know, I, I wouldn't have neglected it that long. But if you did work in that situation, I think they made out pretty well. You know, he's experienced. You know, he can be a little volatile for his age, right? You know, the consistency can be a little iffy sometimes. And being as old as he is, like you said, maybe he's leveled out as kind of that slightly volatile player, you know, but he can be very, very good swing tackle right off the bat. And I think if you do need to start him, he does have the traits to kind of buoy a, a solid, you know, baseline level of play. So, you know, I think the traits are good to work with. He's very physical as a finisher, right? So those things alone, you know, on early day three, like I'm down for that for sure. So you mentioned day two and and day two, this there was a big debate over Joe Tipman out of Wisconsin versus John Michael Schmitz out of Minnesota. Um, your thoughts on on the positional battle, maybe who did you value a little bit more at, at center? Mm-hmm. Tipman was my center one. He was my my top rate. They were very close. They were both top 40 prospects for me. I think I had Tipman 33, Michael Schmitz 37, right? So they were very close for me. But um, Tipman was a little bit higher on my board. He's younger, first off. Um, which again, that's not, you know, like the grade is first for me, like the grade kind of settles them in and then is separated, the separating factors kind of move it around after that. But he, his grade, he, he graded higher than Michael Schmitz after my final viewing, uh, six foot six, I want to say three twenty one around there. So, you know, he's a big dude, right. But, you know, for that size too, you know, especially on the interior offensive line, you kind of, you, sometimes you worry about how they can acquire leverage, kind of get the proper pad level heading into blocks, right? That's not a concern for Tipman. He's very good at lowering himself and, you know, driving power from his lower body too. 
Uh, so I'm a big fan of that a- aspect of his game. Very explosive athlete. He was a Felvin freak in the summer. I think he had a documented, mm-hmm. you know, 1.65 10 yards split, which is six foot six, 320 pounds. That's insane. <laughs> That's insane burst off the line. So he gets out of his stance very quick. It shows up on tape. He's a rangy athlete, is a pulling blocker. I love that element of his game too, but as a pass protector as well, you know, he's smart. He can identify stunts very quickly. You know, he can manage space with his lateral athleticism too. Uh, So I think, you know, there are times where, you know, his hand usage, you know, he'll lurch a little bit sometimes. You know, I think there's still room to kind of grow in that aspect. But, you know, I think you're working with a high IQ blocker who is versatile, who is athletic, powerful, you know, as a run blocker, driving through blocks and paving open lanes. So I was a big fan of that pick. I think it was great value. You know, I think it was a, a position that, you know, with McDermott on a one-year deal, right? You know, I think Timmon can provide an upgrade too, but also in the short term, if Lakin Tomlinson regresses a little bit more this year, you know, I think you could tip slide t- Timmon in at guard if you want to in the short term. You know, I think he provides that flexibility for you. So I think that was a good pick. You know, if you're going to pass in a tackle in round one, you know, get a guy like Timmon in round two who provides some, some security, some flexibility flexibility and long-term upside so i liked it a lot you know i think especially for the jets having that potential uncertainty at guard too you know i think having the guy who's a little more versatile and has the versatility to play guard i would have preferred tipman if it was him and schmidt side by side too says so yeah yeah how much how much with a, a dude like tipman how much are you weighing in like the pedig- pedigree of the program and and you know i kind of joke about it i, I i'm I live in Big Ten country. I'm a Big mm-hmm. Ten guy generally. Big Ten's always produced, you know, these these absolute beast of linemen, and and I think the Jets front office certainly has skewed more ACC. And I don't know if that's just regional preference, scout preference, and you know, it took Joe Douglas four four. It took him three drafts to take a single Big Ten player. It took him four drafts of constant O line investment mm-hmm. to finally draft an O uh, an O line from the Big Ten. Um, how does that weigh? Does it weigh at all? Or, or are you kind of removing that or, or just looking, Hey, with some of the things Wisconsin runs, I, I know, especially in the run game, they're pretty dynamic and, and what they're asking their guys up front to do and really just exert their will a, a yeah, lot sure. where you don't see some of that maybe in, um, big 12, let's say where they're, they're kind of spreading it out and just playing pitch and catch all, all day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. It's a good question. I think it's interesting because like, it doesn't weigh me directly. Like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna rate a guy higher because he plays with Wisconsin. But like you said, the ways that he's used and the ways that he's taught at Wisconsin could help him elevate his play more than a player to another position, right? If you're asked to do more things, you know, it, it kind of expands your experiential growth and from there too you know nfl evaluators will see that and they're going to say like he was asked to do more things and he executed he did those things right he performed performed at the high level so you know it's not something that i grade directly higher but you know what prospects are asked to do and if they succeed in doing those things that can have an effect and that in turn kind of you know it's kind of it's kind of interesting because it's kind of backwards right but you know it does it does have an effect at some point it's just not something i target independently so Brown, one, one, yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say so. So one one guy in the draft we we touched before we started this podcast is Zach Kuntz in the seventh round. I mean, you know, you're going to talk about a guy who's an athletic freak. This guy's a 10.0, a relative athletic score, a uh, very raw pass catcher though, right? I think that's that's pretty well known out of Old Dominion. Like they're not producing a lot of guys this year. I mean, uh, it is what it is, but. What do you kind of make of Zach Kuntz? Because I know a lot of the fans are kind of freaking out about his potential right now, but I want him to slow their roll a little bit, and I want him to calm down. This ain't the second coming, you know? 
Yeah, we can slow our roll for sure. Now you can be a little <laughs> excited because yeah, getting a guy like that in round seven, right? I mean, six foot seven, two fifty one. I want to say he ran like a four five something. His three cone was under seven seconds at that size. That's pretty insane, right? He had a forty one inch vertical, right? So you know you're working with all the tools in the world for sure. You know, length as well, the catch radius, uh, that's that's strong as well. So you know, it's easy to get excited about that stuff, and especially in round seven, right? You know, like. It, the opportunity cost is very low. The potential reward relative to the the investment is very high. So, you know, it's easy to kind of get bullish on that, right? You know, he is very raw. You mentioned it. Like he's, you know, the athleticism is by and large the prime selling point of his profile. Uh, and it shows up on film. Like he's a very good scene buster, right? He gets up the scene with that long striding athleticism. He can sneak into zones and, you know, it's, you know, he's got the reach to extend beyond his frame and catch the football, right? So, you know, you like to see those things, right? You know, I do think there are some flashes of good route running efficiency in his routes, right? But he's not super nuanced and methodical yet right now. Right now, it's just kind of using that athleticism to get into space. Uh, so I want to see him continue to refine that skill set. And as, as a blocker too, you know, not the most physical guy, not always a finisher, technically not super sound right now. So I think, you know, what you're working with right now is that pure receiving threat. And, you know, he can be very good in that face, right? If you want a guy who can get up the seam, you know, you split him out in the slot. You know, I think he does have that ability for him. But, you know, especially in round seven, you know, sometimes teams want more of a utility tight end who can block, who can block on the move and be versatile in line, you know, kind of moving out of the backfield too. So, you know, Koontz can't do that. And unfortunately, that's unfortunate, right? But the trade-off is his upside is so high as a receiver you know, maybe it's something you're willing to bank on. So I think round seven, you know, a, a swing like that, you know, the risk is very low. So I'm willing to go with it. And I, I do think it's, you know, you have to strike a balance of being excited about the potential, but also knowing there is a lot of work to do. What, what do you read into like a guy like Koontz who started at Penn State and then leaves really after two, three years of of no, very pretty much no production there. Mm -hmm. And granted, Pat Firemouth was there ahead of him in the pecking order for a little bit of that. But what do you read into that and go into what's really a much smaller program? I think you see a lot of success stories starting small and transferring or, or even starting big, but going somewhere to get more opportunity. That's that's more kind of an adjacent move. And again, using my Big Ten hat, I think. Charlie Jones went for him that really terrible Iowa offense yeah. goes to Purdue, which is wide open. And, and I, that, that certainly helped the stock with an amazing year. Um, kind of what do you, what do you read into or do you read into at all? Kind of the move that Coons had and um, how do you weigh that in an evaluation? Yeah, for sure. And it's, it's one of those things where, you know, on one hand, some people look at it as a red flag, right? Like he couldn't produce a Penn state. So he had to go to old dominion. Right. So yeah, I, I don't look at it as a red flag on the surface. Like I do think, you know, every player's developmental track is different, you know, and we, we sometimes forget these guys are humans, right? They're dealing with human stuff every year. So it's not for me to say, you know, what he was dealing with that might've limited his production, his ability to grow early on, you know, every human develops at a slightly different pace. And sometimes a transfer is the best thing for you. Right. So, you know, I don't try to put too much stock into it because at the end of the day, he did make the most of his opportunity at Old Dominion, right? He did make the most of that. He became a, a go-to receiving threat, a very able seam threat too. So, you know, I don't look, look into it too much, right? I think at the end of the day, no matter what, the film is going to tell you something, right? Like even at Old Dominion, you could tell this is a superior athlete who's still not super refined, right? And the reason that he's succeeding is because he's at Old Dominion and then the competition isn't quite as stiff as it is in the Big Ten. So, you know, it tells you that, right? You know, it's, it's, it, he, and you got to give him credit where it's due. He was successful, but also you can kind of tell, you know, he's a Penn State athlete who's still 
still working on being an NFL player and he'll, maybe he'll get there. Right. But you know, I do think the film guides you in the right direction there, but uh, I don't put too much stock into it. I definitely take it into account. I definitely maintain an awareness of it, but try not to let it sway anything. And then big thought I had, and I know all the um, RAS kind of composite charts are, have been dropping on Twitter the past couple of days and, and jets, I think are, are right up there with the Colts at the top, depending on whether it's weighted by draft capital or just, you know, kind of a raw average. And, and I'm, I'm sure you're, you're probably as familiar with RAS relative athletic score as anybody. And how, how, how do you look at different teams and their approaches there? You know, Joe, Joe Douglas and, and Chris Ballard have been, I think pretty consistently drafting athletes, almost athletes first, and then figuring out the rest later, I guess. How do you, how do you see that philosophy or where do you kind of fall in that spectrum philosophically? Yeah, for sure. And I got to give a shout out to my guy, Math Bomb, Kent Lee Platty on Twitter, the engineer of the RAS system. He's great. You know, he works with our mock draft simulator too. So he's a great guy. Um, It's one of those things where, you know, and I think uh, it's tough because you have to cross check with the film every time. That's what I ultimately say. Like there, there's some players who test very, very well. And then you look at the film and maybe they don't channel their explosiveness or speed as much as you want them to. Right. So you know, I don't want to give a guy credit for running a four, three, five if he doesn't play to it, right? You know, if he doesn't, if he's not able to stack guys or recover and coverage, if he's like a corner or something, right? So, and then on, on the flip side too, you know, like uh, Christopher Smith from Georgia, I think is a great example from this class. He ended up going to the Raiders on day three, but he tested very poorly. I mean, this is a guy who ran like a four, six, two at five, 10, 185 or something, right? That something like that. So, you know, he tested very poorly. He had like a seven, three, three cone, which is not great for a safety, right? But then you look at the film and he's flipping his hips very fluidly in space. He's changing direction. He is accelerating and closing gaps. You know, he's, you know, maintaining speed and that hip pocket relation with receivers, you know, so you know, it's tough, man. Like You have to cross check it. In my opinion, you know, I would generally lean toward more athletic guys. And I do think that generally there is a correlation, right? Like if a guy looks athletic on tape, usually they test well from the RAS perspective, but you know, it's not one-to-one and that's why you have to be independent of it, right? obviously look at it right but you know don't let the RAS dictate you you know make sure it's kind of you know a part of the puzzle you know it's a very valuable part of the puzzle but it's still just a part of that composite puzzle so you know looking at how athletes channel or don't channel that testing numbers athleticism on tape that's big for me because I think you know if you dictate if you only go by the RAS if you only draft green guys you might miss out on some really good football players in that yellow range who are actually more functionally athletic on tape than the numbers that on so my, my last question for you, Ian, before I throw it to Sliss for, for potentially his last is, all right, so the Jets take Israel Abanacanda running back out of Pittsburgh in, in the fifth round. Now, I, I was very, very staunchly anti-running back. So again, I'm going to ask you to talk me off the ledge here. What what can I look forward to in seeing Abanacanda this, this upcoming season? What kind of player are the Jets getting in the backfield? I will say, you know, I, I like Abanacanda a lot. I didn't really like the fit. If I was the Jets, I would have probably gone a different direction just because you got Brees Hall coming back. You got Michael Carter. You got Zonovan, who's a good player as well. Uh, and and yeah, I, you could have signed a guy in the undrafted pool who could have been good. Like So I, I probably wouldn't have spent that pick on it. I probably would have gone a different direction because there was still depth at a lot of valuable positions at that point. But, you know, Abanaconda is a very good player. You know, he was a top 150, top 100 guy for me. Uh, 5'10", uh, around 5'8", I want to say, 5'10", 5'8", but he's over 215 pounds, right? So he's a dense guy. He's very compact. 
Um, and he ran in the four threes, I want to say, at his pro day, or maybe it was a four four one. He, anyway, you know, he's got that break breakaway speed for sure. You know, once he hits the seam, once he hits a narrow lane inside the tackles, he's gone. You know, he's very tough to stop. He's a very quick accelerator. Um, that that breakaway speed for his size, you know, that combined speed and workhorse profile, very appealing to me. Anyway, and he's shown that he can hit holes quickly. Uh, you know, we can make little lateral adjustments to kind of align himself before exploding upfield. And, you know, he's got good physicality to finish runs. You know, it doesn't quite go through contact as well as you'd expect for his frame. But I do think he has some contact balance with him, too. And I think he's got some untapped receiving upside as well. I think at the pit offense didn't always you know showcase it effectively, but he can run routes out of the backfield. He's shown he can use curvilinear acceleration to, you know, kind of, you know, speed away on those quick outs, too. So, you know, I do think that there is upside there for sure. I think he's a valuable part of the rotation. And with Brees Hall coming off of an injury, right, you know, there is some uncertainty there. So, you know, having a guy like him to provide that security is good. I wouldn't have picked him for the Jets just because, you know, I do think there were opportunities to maybe improve the depth at other positions. Uh, and you could have gotten a running back in the UDFA pool with solid value, right? So. But again, it's a fifth round pick. So, you know, I'm not going to scrutinize it too much. Getting a player like Banaconda in round five is very good value. And I think that, you know, running back is such a volatile position. Injuries hit every year. So if you are in a situation where he's forced to play, he's got that very efficient north-south style, that athleticism and size combination uh, to keep the legs turning. So I, I was a fan of the value, not a fan of the position, but I can get behind it. Right on. Last one for you. I'm surprised we got this far without asking it. Where overall, how'd you grade the Jets draft? Right? That's the the magic. What's the magic number or letter? <laughs> Shoot, man. I mean, it's tough, man. I mean, hey, if you go through all 32 teams with me, like I'll never give lower than like a C or C plus. Cause like it's just uh, I'm I sometimes I feel like I'm not harsh enough. Maybe I'm not, but you know, again, it goes back to what I said at the very beginning. If if it if I don't agree with it 100%, prove it, right? Prove to me that that was the right call. So, you know, I'd, I'd probably give the Jets a B minus, a C plus. And I do think there were some areas where they sacrificed value. You know, Will McDonald, as much as I love the vision for him, that was a little early for me being an older prospect who still needs to get stronger, still needs to get NFL strength, right? So, you know, I do question his trend. But I, if you use him a wide nine, you know, I think he has all the tools to be a very, very good player there. So I am optimistic. Uh, I think Carter Warren, you know, I wanted them to address tackle earlier. That was the big thing. Thing for me because you've got Aaron Rodgers you have a very short window with him you need to make it count so you need that protection unit to be up to snuff Anton Harrison from Oklahoma was a very highly rated player on my board I probably would have targeted him especially with Roger Jones going to 14 that was just tough man the picks for the Steelers trading up for him but yeah I would have gone with the tackle earlier for sure because I think it was the more important need for them uh, and then, you know, when Rodgers is gone, too, you're going to have a young quarterback coming in the wings, probably. You know, I'd love to get a bookend tackle already in play uh, for you there. So I think they could have addressed that earlier. Uh, but uh, Carter Warren is a solid consolation prize. I, I I don't know if I trust him to be a long term starter, but, you know, he's got tools. He's got toughness. You know, that's that's valuable in its, in its own right. And then day three. You know, again, you can't scrutinize too much. Like I probably would have picked a different position, but Abanaconda was very good value. Jared Bernard Converse is quietly a very athletic, versatile piece in the secondary. So I, I was a fan of that pick. And then Zach Koontz, round seven at that point, swing for the fences, get a hyper athletic tight end, right? You know, I do think it was a solid draft, right? You know, B minus or C plus somewhere in that range, because I do think they still have to, they still have that prove it element, prove it to me, right? You know, especially with Aaron Rodgers, there is so much pressure on you. It's basically Super Bowl bust. If you don't get a Super Bowl from Aaron Rodgers, it was a failure, right? So, you know, a lot of pressure on you. 
you know, did they do enough to really get past that point? I'm not sure. I'm not sure if they targeted the areas they needed to at early on in the draft, but we'll see, you know, maybe Will McDonald becomes a sack artist from nine tech. He's got the tools to do it. So I'm hoping for the best there. And I do think he's got the tools, but we'll see what happens. B minus C plus prove it. That's, that's where I'm at with the jets. Yeah, I'm right there with you. <laughs> yeah, I think we're we're in the same boat here, Ian. And Ian, uh, thank you so much for coming on. Where can the people find your work? What can they find you on the on the Twitters, on the wherever? Where can people read you? Where can they talk to you? Yeah, so you can follow me at IC underscore draft on Twitter. Any draft questions, 2023, 2024, we're starting to get in there. Uh, feel free to shoot those my way. And then Pro Football Network is at PFN365. Ian, thank you again so much for jumping on, friend. Hope you... Uh, you know, get some rest, go into hibernation because I'm sure I'll be hitting you up again before 2024. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know, I will. All right. I'll catch you guys later. Appreciate it, man. Thanks, Ian. Yeah. So that was Ian Cummings, Liz. And as we keep this train rolling, I, I need to get this joke out before I explode. My Abondaconda don't want none unless you got runs, hon. You're welcome. But, uh, you know, Sliss, yeah, I know you're disgusted. <laughs> oh, man. But I just want to say I'm disgusted oh, in you. for if, if you're wearing what I think you're wearing, I'm very upset with you right now. Yes, you're disgusting. Sliss oh, is holding up his, his, his devil's hoodie, which is gross. I think I found my geek of the week this week. But anyway, Sliss, let's, let's talk about the Jets draft a little bit. Um, yeah, I mean, I know, mean Ian, Ian touched on a lot, of, a lot of the same thoughts I think we've had over the past, you know, half week, week. Um, Lots of good athletic players. Really, on day three, I thought we did pretty well. Can't screw, really can't scrutinize most of those too bad. We got athletes at, at important positions, largely, and I mean, so much of it boils down to the the empty pit in my stomach after seeing Pitt traded up to fourteen before the pick was even made. Right, it's like you knew what was happening in real time. That 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 the pick swap did matter. Right. Yeah. I mean, listen, you said it last week, right? And and you've said it since the Roger Strait came down that seeing Joe Douglas fold around the fringes on everything. And this was going to be potentially a, a, a piece of it that would come back to haunt them where, yeah, they they give up the, the pick swap and they need a tackle. And what happens? Pittsburgh does exactly what you prognosticated. They jump up ahead of New England. They take the ta- or they they jump up with New England. They take the tackle, and away we go. Right, and they and Broderick Jones is one pick away, one pick away. But uh, it, it's still tough, man. It's I, listen. You're right. You're 100 percent right that this was going to be, this was definitely going to be a a byproduct of the trade. And let's talk about the trade Sliz as a whole before we get into this. This was a Let's the draft. I'm sorry, as as a whole, there's something about this draft, and usually I'm at the point now in the off season post draft where I'm like, I'm hitting up Nilton on on Discord. He's he's dealing me the the copium, the good stuff, the grade A stuff, and I'm like, all right, man, away we go. Like I feel good yeah, about you, this draft. You now. see what one Jets drive or whatever whatever they're they're right early flight pre-season. 2020 yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah, you're you're like yeah hitting hitting on all waves and yep, and like I'm feeling it, but this draft just doesn't feel right to me. Like I like the Tipman pick. I think he's going to be a good player. I like the war. I, I mean, I, I want to say I like the Warren pick, but I just don't know what he's going to be. Right. And, and I, I'm sorry. I don't like the McDonald pick. I simply do not because the jets are operating from a position where they need to get snaps 
to other spots than just edge rusher. And we saw last year, Jermaine Johnson was getting what? 12 snaps a game, 11 snaps a game. Yeah, he, um, had, he had 300 on the season. Right. Not, so, not you much. Know, yeah, do the math. Um, so it's for me, it's like, what are we, what are we doing? Allocating resources to a spot where we couldn't get snaps to a guy last year. And the edge room is, is largely unchanged. Bryce Huff is coming back. JFM is going to kick inside on third downs. Jermaine Johnson is back. Carl Lawson's back. He hasn't gone anywhere yet. So it's like, what are Michael, we? Let's not forget Michael Clemens either. Yeah, Michael Clemens, right? And he, I want to say he earned his snaps last year too because he was noticeable when he was on the field, right? So it's like, what are we? What are we doing? Like, what? Why are we throwing more value at this position? Like, is Lawson going to be gone before the start of the season? Is or is he going to be? Is he trade like? There has to be another move or else this, this simply put, this doesn't make sense. You can only rotate so many guys. And that's why I'm upset with this. Like the room gets full to a point, man. And, and you just can't get snaps for everybody. And it's a first round pick that you need to make an impact this year, which is why, and I understand we didn't like it. And we had chimp on last podcast. When I mentioned, listen, there, there is a world in which that J- Jackson Smith and Jigbo will be on the board. And he's the guy that would make the most sense because the exact was, scenario played out there. and he was there and the exact scenario played out where, listen, the top edge rushers are gone. Wilson and Anderson, they're, they're off the board, right? The, the three tackles or four tackles are off the board by the time the jets pick and JSN was there for the taking. And I understand you don't want to maybe the same. I mean, maybe I'm hypocritical in saying this, but you don't want to overinvest in a position where you, you don't need to, that you have a full room, but JSN was a more impactful pick there than Will McDonald wouldn't be, even if he turns into a good player. So that's my rant. I, I just like, I'm at the point now. Yes, he's Will McDonald could be a good player. He could fit this team good, but it just doesn't feel like a pick for 2023. It feels like a pick for 2024, 2025 when the edge room maybe thins out. You can't re sign guys. So uh, I'm just that, that put a damper on the entire draft for me. I'm just, I'm very disappointed. I, I, I I don't know, man, like a trade down, take a wide receiver, do something, get creative with that pick. Don't just sell out for a guy because the head coach really likes rotating his, his defensive ends. You know, um, I don't know. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, first, shout out to my sister who texted me immediately after the Will <laughs> McDonald pick and said, well, at least it wasn't JSN, right? That was your worst case scenario. Just to, <laughs> this wasn't even on the radar, man. Like. <laughs> We went off the map, so wanted to wanted to squeak that in. I, I think the thing, and and I, I've said this a lot on the, you know, typing it up on the Discord over the past couple of days. Um, the thing that I struggle most with this is really it, like on paper, uh, I can, like looking at in a vacuum, I think the the draft strategy in terms of the prospects we took was actually pretty good, right? I, I like generally the tools of pretty much every single player we took um, where I really struggle. And and you touched obviously on Will McDonald is kind of sour in the whole thing. And and that's, it's not fair to him, but it's just the reality, right? Like I I like him as a prospect and, and kind of the fit of what we need in our room a lot more than I like Jermaine Johnson. I I will say that. Um, But it, it felt like a draft that we should have made the past two years. And what I mean by that is just, you know, Ian, Ian kind of opened with it of knowing where your 
where your window is, what you are as a team, what you're trying to do, right? So Joe Douglas, this is year four, Joe Douglas, draft number four, Joe Douglas. We are in a win now mode with Aaron Rodgers. We have a for sure one year window, maybe two year window, and then it's probably shut, right? And then we're having to totally figure out quarterback. So with that, and, and then in previous years, right, we were building from nothing. We had holes all over the roster. We we needed players at multiple, multiple spots. And and I've, I've shouted from the rooftops for basically two years now that I felt like the biggest criticism I've had of Joe Douglas is being inefficient with his capital expenditure. I think he's gotten some good players, right? Um but I think he's been very inefficient. And you, when, when I say that, I look at the trade-ups, I look at some of the contracts, I look at just some of the overfilling of rooms in order to get something there. And then you're, you're letting a Jason Pinnock go, right? Before even really letting him actually get a, a shot to shine. Um, and, and that's where I struggle. I feel like this was a good building draft if this was 2021, if this was 2022, like sitting, sitting at our picks and letting the board come to us doing some mostly move downs in the middle rounds. Like that's what I wanted to see of Joe Douglas the past two years of letting the board come to us, take a good player and then just keep moving. Right. Use the war chest you assembled to build out the entire roster. And instead we we got aggressive the past two years trying to accelerate the rebuild and then we we took this strategy. It, it it just seems a little disjointed from what i would have expected right and and i agree with kind of the the assertion at the end this is definitely a prove it a prove it to me draft um i think within a year i i, I see will mcdonald having a, a cleaner path to a large snap share in 2024 than jermaine johnson unless we're truly moving John Franklin Myers inside, which I don't, I don't anticipate that. Right. Like it feels like we have three guys that are all best playing at the same spot. And that's JFM, Michael Clemens and Jermaine Johnson. And then you, you kind of slot Will McDonald as the heir apparent once Lawson's gone. Um, but we'll say for this year, we have six edges. Do we rot? Uh, certainly we're going to roster all six are all six active on game day. Probably. I, I would think probably not. And then who's the odd man out? You're flipping a coin between Huff and Clemens, I think, right? And that just feels bad after tendering Huff after what I thought was a really good rookie campaign from Clemens, really on par with Jermaine Johnson's rookie campaign. Um, and and yeah, just pick 15 needed to be impactful. And, and he can be impactful, and he can be impactful this year. He's just got to be very impactful on what's probably not a lot of snaps or it's, you know, Certainly, we will look silly if Carl Lawson gets injured week two, and Will McDonald's popping off all season. But but an injury need or or really an injury or two injuries needing to occur in order to really justify your pick when there are clear spots like and we don't need to to go far. Defensive tackle is a massive massive hole, right? You had Kalaja Kansi, Mozzie Smith there, and and there there's word that we had opportunities or, or potential options to move back and maybe get better, you know slot better value while picking up value in the mid rounds there. Um, that's really my big criticism, man. It just felt like a disjointed strategy. Again, individual picks. It, it's 
you can, I think you can always cope individual picks. It's with the Jets, man. And and I'm trying not to come off overly pessimistic, but I've just been so critical of the macro strategy. And, and I know Chimp and I have used the word kind of death by a thousand cups cuts. It's like, yeah, any individual move. It's like, yeah, no, that makes sense. You can justify the move, but it's like, you know, if you lose on the margin here, you miss on a margin there, you miss it. Like that adds up so much over time, right? We, we got a Netflix subscription we're not using and, and we're just throwing $15 down the drain every, every month. That's what it feels like every single draft year over year. Yep. It's, it's, it's not great anymore, you know? And, and I don't know, maybe I've been a Douglas apologist. I, I couldn't tell you, honestly, like I, I just, which is probably fair, but consider this too, Sliz. So the Jets re-signed Connor McGovern. He's making like no money, which is fine. Like one year, whatever it is, right? The Jets also signed Wes Schweitzer earlier in the offseason, who's making more money than Connor McGovern is, number one. And then you invest in center again. And Joe Tipman's a good player, or he has the potential to be a good player. What's the vision there? Like, were you just insuring against Tipman not being there with re-signing McGovern, which is Again, he's making like no money, which is fine. He's a good player and he's a leader, you know, very middle of the pack, whoever, right? But again, it, it just the macro doesn't make sense. Like when you look at just Joe Tipman as a player, cool, he could be very good. By the way, as an aside, we're, we record on Tuesday night. They just showed a shot of Aaron Rodgers at the Knicks Heat playoff game and he looked high out of his mind. So I don't know if that's. You know, just a poor, poor shot. But anyway, but you look at her, maybe he's crying, thinking about Joe Douglas's draft. It's just also a possibility. But uh, I don't know, man. It's again, the macro, you look at the individual move or the individual player and you're like, okay, this guy could be good. But then you look at the entire body of work and I'm like, I, I don't get it. Right. Abanaconda is another one. And I understand like Teutonic and others have said, listen, Ultimately, he's a day three running back. That's fine. He's a fifth round pick. He could he gives you fresh legs. He gives you juice, whatever. But I'm going into the season, and I know Brees, Brees Hall's hurt, but I'm going into the season with Hall, Michael Carter, and Bam Knight, who showed you something last year. Why am I again investing a day three pick on running back? And Ian just said it. Like, go to the undrafted free agent draft class where you can find a guy. You find running backs during camp. Because if you're concerned with Hall not being ready week one, you don't need a long-term answer. You need a guy who will give you 10, 12, 15 rushes a game, maybe, and figure out the rest later. Like it just it all it, it it's all confusing to me, dude. Like it's like I said, I, I feel like I would have reached a point by now that I'd be cool with this draft, but I'm just not. Like a, a top to bottom, I'm not. So I, I uh, don't I don't mind the running back pick as much. You should. You should. As, where was Bam? A, where was Bam Knight? Where was Bam Knight drafted last year's list? Hey, I I do like was, Bam Knight. I I think I think this pick tells you a lot of what we think about Michael Carter now. Right. I think um, that's fair. And and I think I think and I think it's a fair I think it's a fair evaluation for our front office to have. And I, I like I've. It's funny. Like I've kind of pendulum swung, and and maybe it was just the cope because we started winning, but. Like I was very against the Michael Carter pick initially, right? Mm-hmm. Super, and, and you you see the flaws when you see him play, right? The dude can't pass protect to save his life. Um, the the initial burst isn't quite there. He he's a broken tackle merchant, and he, and he's phenomenal at it, right? Great to 
contact balance and, and his his biggest value is in in like two minute drill hurry up at the end of a half right and he's not a guy that it seems that we're confident giving the 40 percent load share of a of a of a split of a of a committee and certainly you saw um not to mention not to mention going. in the past game he's had critical drops yeah in in the last like critical drops we're talking about like game changing drops yeah um, oh yeah so uh, yeah i mean it's again running back yeah. running back <laughs> it's uh, running backs at least a, a year one impactful position and and certainly that's additionally boosted by Brees being hurt and and coming back from injury so i i think uh, of all the picks that honestly that one's going to be pretty impactful I, I think this year in a win now year um tipman i think starts and yeah i mean you said it, it feels like we have done such a good like the one spot joe douglas is really a like seemingly overly addressed every single year is interior offensive line. And it's mm-hmm. like, we're, we're like three layers deep at interior. Um, I, I do want bur- burst some bubbles. AVT is not playing right tackle or he's not starting at right tackle to begin the year. Um, I think if there was a question, which I never thought there was, uh, I think the Billy Turner signing that we had kind of crushes that. Right. So now we have, we have six tackles and, and Ogbog certainly going to be the, uh, the odd man out and probably a practice squad carry all year once we get to the season. But, um, you know, I, the tackle room just doesn't inspire you. We listen, have, we have this five. If you include ABT, we have five of our top six tackles all coming back from injury. And I know okay. they're all different injuries. I know they're all, you know, there's a lot of context. I know athletes, you know, injuries aren't necessarily predictive year to year, but, Man, that just does not feel good. <laughs> Listen, dude, all I've been seeing on Twitter is, oh, well, the Jets are trying not to redo their 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 tackle situation from last year, which is fine. And and everybody's talking about depth. Oh, we have tackle depth. Listen, depth doesn't matter if the depth sucks. When are we going to learn this? Man? Or, or if the starters aren't good, right? Or if the start, like, it doesn't matter. Like, everybody likes saying depth, like, great, we filled out the room with six nobodies. Like, and, and let's run them by, let's run them through. Makai Becton didn't have his fifth year option picked up coming off two seasons, season ending injuries, right? Number one, Dwayne Brown is 127 years old. 127 years old, right? Max Mitchell with the blood clots, we don't know. I mean, his his father has said he's good to go. It doesn't seem long-term serious, but he was also very not good last year for all the memes, right? Like, there were times where he looked decent, and there were times where he looked like a total turnstile. Carter Warren, everybody said his ceiling is a swing is a backup swing tackle. And listen, maybe he develops into something, I don't know. But with to take a step back, with Warren and Mitchell, these last two drafts, you took the potential like their ceilings are swing tackles in back-to-back drafts in the mid rounds right and, and it's and they're like complete opposite prospects too where mitchell's like a guy where you're trying to to bank on athletic athleticism and develop them and carter warren's maybe an older guy that's probably a bit more like kind of at his peak physically Right. Um, and you're hoping that he kind of can plug in if you need him to, right? Right. <laughs> but like, it, it, dude, it's like, like Billy Turner is signed, and like, okay, Billy Turner might be a good signing for them. Like, again, as a depth tackle, but Turner's a guy that came from Green Bay. He played a season in Denver with Hackett, and it feels more like a 
okay, he understands his assignment type deal over he understands his assignment type deal over actually being a good player at this point. Like, I don't want to, I really don't want to run into the memes of like, Oh, well he's Aaron Rodgers' boy. He's just getting paid. Maybe he is. It's, it's a possibility. He was on the I don't know. List, baby. <laughs> I mean, maybe he was, I don't know, but dude, it's like, and then you turn it to look, you turn it to Ogbog. He's another one. Who's just, a, it's just a guy on a piece of paper, right? This whole thing. I don't want to say it's going to go bad because I still think that they, the jets have a good team this year. The defense can be as good as it was last year. I mean, that's the hope, right? They didn't address free. Okay. Jared uh, Bernard Converse it, it picked two Oh four. That's their, that's them determining uh, their free safety position, I guess, who was announced as a cornerback. So whatever, right. They didn't address free safety. They didn't, they didn't address tackle in a meaningful way, at least in the immediate. Like, what are we what are we doing? They didn't address linebacker. I mean, oh, Zaire Barnes, pick 184, like a guy who everybody says, like, okay, linebacker, whatever, but he's he's gonna be a special teams guy. Like, dude, we didn't strengthen anything we needed strengthen. Like and, and <sighs> every passing day, another defensive tackle is signed somewhere. No that DTs. Isn't, that isn't the New York Jets. And right. I'm just waiting till week one where Slizzer lines up at running back against the New York <laughs> Jets and gets seven yards per carry up the middle because we have lightweights up the middle. Like that that that's and and I don't know that there was a clean spot to take one. But not getting a defensive tackle of like any variety feels really bad. And how you don't come away with the space eating defensive tackle in this draft drives me nuts, man. And, and just, a, just a fatty. It's 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 a year like it's a now issue. But then going into next year, we're gonna have the same exact issue where you're only gonna have Quinn under contract to D tackle, and then we got no one, right? Like it it's like a it's a it's a short term and long term issue. Um. Yeah, it, it, that that just doesn't feel great. Totally ignoring it, and and there's still some guys out there. We we probably get one, but yeah, it just doesn't feel great there. But it's bad vibes. And, and, and I, I'm with you. Be we we were thinking the same thought on the the coon throwing in the coons question. Like, bros, slow down. He's probably not active roster all year, and if he is, it's in the Kenny Yeboro Yeboa role where. He's playing special teams and exclusively special teams. <laughs> yeah, at least we won't get cute with like Lawrence Cager again, right? Hey, we tried. Care, care, careful what you wish for, man. <laughs> it just it just drives me. I don't know. So it's like this this feels wrong. It just doesn't feel right. It just does not feel right. And I know I know that we were at the opposite end of the Dewan Jones uh conversation, but at least with Jones, he was a massive dude who you could probably just stick at right tackle and, and let it figure. And like you wouldn't go through the growing pains of having a Carter Warren. Right. And worry about like, Oh, we have to develop Warren. It just felt like that was the big, and then what happens? The jets immediately trade back after. That. So it's like, I, I, maybe they thought about taking Jones at that pick. Yeah. Right. Because why would they trade back from that spot? If Jones is still on the board. So, ah, I don't know, man. I just, it doesn't feel right. Like this draft just didn't feel right. It felt off. Um, how, Joe, how? he also loves drafting old guys. I mean, old is, is subjective, but like, 
when you're telling me he's a 24 year old who needs, still needs to figure out his body and Will McDonald. Uh, and I was actually talking to Will Parkinson uh, about this and he, he said, he's put it perfectly. He has an NBA body. I'm mm-hmm. like, and I understand he's a wide nine. Like that's where they want to stick him. So like, okay, maybe he can afford to be a little bit slender, but when your lower half is looking like that, man, you're an edge. It just, it's not right. <laughs> it's not, uh, I don't know. So I don't know, man. I, I think I think there's two things, and and of course it all stems to round one, right? But two two things that real just really soured me, and and I'll, I'll come out of it at some point, and I, I'm still I excited. It. I'm still excited for the season. I think we're still going to win the division, and I think we have a good chance to win it all, right? Um, New England traded back for absolutely nothing, and not only that, but they still got. Their the guy. same guy they would have picked <laughs> who was on many boards, a top 10 prospect. And it, it just pisses me off so much that, that like it, it was, it, it just kills you. Right. Where it's like, the, there are a lot of, there's a lot of smoke uh, of Luke Van Ness to new England. Green Bay takes them right before. And, and we facilitate that with the pick swap. The new England trades back for pennies pit snipes us. And then it's all downhill. And then, and then number two, well, not only I think it was NYJ Matt or my, one of the two Matt or Mike tweet out that that the Steelers draft looked like a Jets mock draft, and it's like you look at it, and of course you you kind of eliminate the Joey Porter pick because we didn't have that capital. That's like yeah, that would have been a nice draft to have, and then you hear the rumors about us being linked to potentially Jameer Gibbs at fifteen, and you just pull your hair out, man. You just pull your hair out. It's like, I, 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 I don't know. <laughs> and, and and it's not, clearly... It wasn't even just like one rumor. It was, it was multiple like plugged in draft guys. You had Eric Allen, who is a Jets. He's, he's Jets propaganda machine, essentially just saying, representing the team. He, he went on boy green show and, and mentioned that it would have been a tough decision or an interesting decision an interesting, yep. if either Bijan or Gibbs is there. And it's like, what are we doing, man? Like, and I know, they, I know clearly Hackey used two running backs in Green Bay a lot, but like, come on now. They clearly wanted to address running back because the Abanaconda pick tells you that, right? Yeah. It's, I don't, it's, it ain't right, man. Something, something's not right. Joe Douglas drafted like he had, like he feels like he has two more years. Right. He's probably so, he's probably got another four, man. He's gonna get a fatty extension soon. I mean, we'll see because ultimately him drafting like this tells you that he feels like he has more than one year, which tells me that Rogers probably has more than one year. Right. And Rogers even he didn't say it, but he said, you know, I'm taking it a year at a time, but I didn't come here to be one and done. Right. Everything Rogers has said so far has been has been I guess right. He said all the right things. He's done all the right things. He's ingratiating himself. He's practicing in May, which is like, okay, that's awesome, right? Like, very cool that he's like seemingly actually bought in and he's not just it's not just smoke and mirrors, right? By the way, please sign the the extension or the the rework contract, whatever you're gonna do, because this $107 million cap number in 2024 is giving me anxiety, right? But I just I was not a fan of this draft. And and the thing is, it's like it's not that I'm not a fan of the players. 
because they think, you know, I, like I said, I think Tippmann's going to be good. McDonald, the jury is out. I just don't understand his fit. Warren is a swing tackle, whatever, a Bonacana running back, whatever, but good players, right? Ultimately, it's the philosophy that doesn't make sense to me. It's the strategy that doesn't make sense to me. It's the lack of having a plan, not trading down, which would have been awesome to trade down because then you could pick up capital for this year or maybe next year where you're flirting without a first or second round pick, right? I don't know. It's just, it just kills me, man. It just kills me. How about a uh, Top Gun shout out for the one and only Joe Rivera for connecting the dots on the Woody meddling and this oh. dude's this dude's tweeting out like ringing the flipping bell of season tickets coming in and it's like okay clearly you wanted the you wanted the you wanted I mean, to get listen, the, the the payroll going early and right enforce that Rogers trade before the draft yeah I mean thank you for that I appreciate that 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 might be the first Top Gun I've ever gotten or ever will get but it was so obvious man. Like it, it was just so obvious because look, the, the hype for flight 2023, getting them in the building. Now their stupid uh, docu-series that they do talking about, uh, well, I saw something today that said, I almost actually tagged you in, in the discord, uh, jet season tickets are up like 4% or something like that. So far, um, take season ticket sales and, and all that is, is up. Uh, you know, I'm sure that people are excited about getting their Aaron Rodgers eight jerseys, which I'm getting ads for that on Instagram now. So like it was it was obvious, man. It it was obvious. Like I think Woody wanted this guy in the building before the draft because he likes winning headlines. That's who Woody Johnson is. I think ultimately it's cool because it's a player that we actually agree with, right? Like it's Aaron Rodgers, which is like I'm cool with it cuz Aaron Rodgers is a dude and better he's than got Tim Tebow. <laughs> exactly, better than Tebow, better than, you know, whoever. So I'm cool with it, man, ultimately. But it just, this entire situation reeked of Woody, especially after Rodgers. Like, we know Rodgers knows the system. We know that the Packers aren't going to pay this guy entering week one. Um, There was no reason to do it before the draft. None. So, whatever, man. Whatever. All right, so let's, let's move on. Thank you for the top and shout out. Let's move on to this week's Geek of the Week. And... The New York Rangers, man. Yeah, shout out to the Devils. You know, handshake. Hey, look, Robert Salas at the at the Knicks game too. There's that. Um, the New York Rangers. I I just to show up in a game seven and to play so gutless, so so without any kind of moxie, no desperation, no urgency. Hey, hey, don't don't, don't be afraid. I think over your shoulder is Akira Schmid. Stop it! Stop it! <laughs> Listen, man, it's just all of it. And Truba's hit on Timo Meyer came legit three games too late. Yeah. Like when, when Timo Meyer dove on Shesterkin's leg, and I, I want to say that was game game three, game two or three. And three. like I think it was three. It was game three. And and like Timo Meyer, like he was ticketed for outside the way that he was he was skating, was ticketed for outside the crease and outside of the net. And he changed direction the last second and dove on his leg and you see the replays show that. So I'm sorry, but like, where was the message sent then? Like, where was, where was the hit then? Where was somebody dropping the gloves then? That's when we needed it. Waiting until the third period when you're down two Oh on away ice. Like it's like, 
just frustrating, man. And I don't know what the Rangers do. I don't know what the Rangers do. I don't know what they do. Giving up shorthanded goals. Embarrassing. Shorthanded goals. Yeah. In critical games, man. Yeah, you're not winning much that way, man. Embarrassing. That was embarrassing. And Adam Fox didn't have a good series either. Adam, And he's a top two defenseman in the league. He didn't have a good series. Panarin was awful, man. Like invisible. I'd say he was awful. I'd say I'd say he was awful, but he was invisible. He was invisible. (laughs) So I don't know, man. It's it's whatever. Geek of the week. Your New York Rangers. Pack your bags, Gerard Gallant. No quit, New York, baby. Yeah, no quit. Brutal, embarrassing. All right, Sliz. Let's bring it in for a landing. This is a landing strip. What's on your mind, man? You you go first. You go you you tee us up right. here. All right. So I I watched uh we started watching Bob the Book of Boba Fett because I'm traditionally like two years late on most major pieces of American entertainment these days. It's really not as bad as everybody was kind of making it seem. Like it's definitely aimless. I'll say that. It's not what I was expecting at all. Like the whole like adopted by the Tuscan Raiders thing was like kind of weird, but it was also it was cool because it gave some depth to to Sam people and and that was like neat. It was neat to see that. So that was kind of cool. But it like is he a crime lord? Is he a bounty hunter? Like where did the shift from bounty hunter to crime lord come from? Like it's just interesting, interesting, um, Interesting show. It's definitely not as bad. We actually have like two or three episodes left. We just finished the episode where he gets the slave one back, which was pretty good. I think we're getting into the Mandalorian episodes now. So, um, whoa, whoa, whoa. isn't it rebranded? I don't they call it something different now. Yeah, they call it, he called it something different. Um, but it's It's a slave, it's a slave one, it's a slave (laughs) one. Like Disney, Disney can't, can't uh, whitewash everything. I'm sorry. So, um, yeah, that was cool. That was definitely cool to see. Iconic, iconic ship, obviously. Uh, so yeah, not as bad, not as bad as I thought it would be. So, pretty good, pretty good stuff. You blanking? Dude, we, we no, I got, I got a few. No, we got, um, got my oldest in soccer practice, man. Nice. It's it's fun. Two year old, two year old soccer practice. Not the most eventful thing. <laughs> but we're 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 starting to piece it together. It's good to get outside and and kick a ball around. Well, I realized not too long ago that that's really where you just want them to get the energy out, right? Yeah. Like it's not even Absolutely. about enjoying. It's not even about enjoying soccer. It's just about go run around for forty five minutes to an hour. Come home and take a nap. So yep, taking notes. Yep. Yeah, we we got that going. I obviously you stole the thunder devils onto the next round. We got, we got <sighs> Brett Beatty ra- raking, even though the, the Mets look a little futile at times. Um, not a inter- interesting time for sports. Um, at least the devils will, will keep my mind off the draft for a little <laughs> bit, for a little bit. Then, then we'll get right back to it. But yeah, I mean, not to mention Knicks are, you know, uh, Jimmy Butler, not playing tonight. You would think the Knicks would be running up the score. But they're locked in a tight one with the Heat, which is kind of brutal. Kind of brutal. You can't you can't let these games slip away from you, man. But sports, Liz. Sports. It don't stop. Sports. So um this I, I want to say this is probably the end of season one of Jet Fuel the Jets Discord podcast. Uh I have an announcement to make, Sliz. I, I don't want to spring anything on you, but You've recorded about 
29 episodes of Jet Fuel. Listen, man, it's been a blast. It's been tons of fun. Like, I got to tell you, we're doing this again for 2023 season. And we're doing it bigger and we're doing it better. And it's going to be a lot of fun. We hope to be on YouTube. We're doing it full on dad mode too. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Full on dad mode. It's going to happen. The caffeine's coming. Caffeine's coming. We're going to be, we're hopefully we're going to be on YouTube. We're going to have a good video component to this. At some point, we're going to get the discord more involved. It's going to be a good time, man. I'm very excited to announce that I am in fact, not retiring from jet fuel and I will be clearing you for takeoff for an entire season. So, uh, you know, we're Sliz and I, I think we're, we're going to take a little break. We're going to take a little break. Uh, we'll be back get probably. Some sleep. <laughs> get some sleep. Yeah, Sliz needs some sleep. I mean, I'll need some sleep in a few months time when when the baby yes, comes sir. around. Um, but, uh, you know, it's been it's been to everybody out there on Discord, to everybody out there listening to us, maybe not associated with the Discord. We appreciate you guys listening to us. It's been a total blast from you know, the highs of the 2022 season to the very lows of the 2022 season and the very low of the 2023 draft and everything in between. Uh, hope to have more guests, again, more Discord integration, more fun over the next year or so, however long we decide to do this. So uh, that'll do it for this episode of Jet Fuel, the Jets Discord podcast. Obviously, you already found us, but you continue to find us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Pandora, and Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a five-star review where applicable. It would be greatly appreciated. You can find us on Twitter at JetFuelPodcast. You can find me on Twitter at Joe Rivera SN. Sliz, where can the people find you on Twitter? At Sliz underscore NYJ. You can send us an email at JetFuelDiscordPodcast at gmail.com. And Sliz, how can the people join the Discord? Yep, come come chat discord.gg slash nyjets and certainly probably a little bit quieter over the course of the offseason, but that that's that's not a bad time to join where you can actually get a, a word in edgewise and, and <laughs> kind of let yourself be known and, and certainly come you know end of summer-ish. Um we'll be getting fantasy leagues rolling, we'll be getting the hype going. Um schedule release is here just in a couple weeks as well, so hopefully looking for a couple primetime games. It, yeah, it's it's going to be a fun 2023, man. We it's about as as uh intriguing a year as we probably ever had as Jets fans. So for better or worse. For better or worse. Better or worse. We're in for it, man. And Jet Fuel Discord part Jet Fuel Discord podcast will be here for all of it. So For a very sleepy Matt Szilard, I am Joe Rivera once again reminding you, you can't take flight without jet fuel.